Welcome to the episode. Sarah Kalick uh, from the Good Jobs Institute is with us today to talk about what what good jobs are um, and how retailers can create good jobs out of their businesses um, and make uh, retail spaces appealing places to work. So thanks so much for joining us today, Sarah. My pleasure. So happy to be here. So Sarah, tell us a little bit about the Good Jobs Institute, how it came about, what your what your kind of mission is, values, things like that. Excellent. So the Good Jobs Institute is a nonprofit. Uh, we are based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. We were founded in 2017 with the mission to help companies thrive by creating good jobs. So most of our work is in the service sector. So we work with retail, restaurants, hospitality, call centers, direct care, senior living, um, some manufacturing, distribution centers, any companies that have a large frontline workforce that has some interaction with customers. We think good jobs are so important, incredibly important in every industry, but really important when you have customers coming in and you have employees who have a chance every day to offer incredible service and and really um, drive your business. So what we do is we help companies both assess what their current jobs look like and then think about where they want to improve them, both to drive the financial health and security of their workforce, but also to drive higher productivity, better contribution, motivation, and really be able to build long-lasting, sustainable businesses uh, that can thrive. That's really incredible work. And I think it's so relevant for our industry um, because I think before the pandemic, there was definitely a push in our industry um, with local, you know, independent businesses. There is, that's like one key factor that, that, retailers push out to say, hey, you know, any money you spend or if you work here, it's staying in the community, it's staying here. Um, So that's always been a driving kind of selling point, if you will. Um, And I think the the pandemic has really shifted um, the, maybe not shifted, but kind of changed the conversation a little bit um, to calling attention to these retail workers who have been deemed essential in our industry. Um, So they've been working really hard over the last 18 months. Um, And, you know, we do an annual report um, that we've been doing for over a hundred years that um, shows um, like sales and, and operational metrics. Um, And we just got the, the data back and average on average sales were up 24% in our industry last year, which is incredible. Um, And I think what retailers are contending with now is they have these core, you know, people who are tired and they, you know, they need to build their businesses and, and hiring in retail, hiring in any industry, but specifically I think in retail right now is just really challenging. Um, So, when you're talking to uh, you know, a business owner in the retail space, what are kind of the things you counsel them on as far as positioning their businesses as good jobs? Great question. And again, especially for independent uh, business entrepreneurs and leaders in communities across the US, part of your business is um, really creating the, these economy boosting jobs, right? So you're employing people in your community their networks, their people, the trust that they create is really part of your business. Um, and you know, if, if your name's on your company, you 
you probably really want to offer good jobs. So we often, you know, talk to companies about how they can make the business case for good jobs. And there is a financial case. And we have a great article in Harvard Business Review called The Financial Case for Good Retail Jobs. And with that comes a calculator that companies can use to, um, using their own data, create a financial model that would say, if we offered better jobs with higher wages and could lower turnover, how could we drive higher revenue? higher basket size, more loyalty, higher traffic? How could we reduce costs, reduce shrink, overtime costs, cost of turnover? There's a strong financial case to make. There's a really strong competitive case to make. Um, So again, especially for your members, um, full disclosure, I am going through a home renovation like so many Americans. So I am spending a lot of time in independent paint and hardware stores. They are able to offer me something that I can't get at other places, which is consistent, fantastic customer service. And so your customers, when you're building your competitive case, um, you are really differentiated, right? You are that community store. You need to build that expertise. You're doing consultative selling. You're doing something really personal for people as you are you know, helping them create their dream homes and their dream spaces. So there's a huge competitive case for good jobs um, in this industry um, and adaptability as well as part of that competitive case. My goodness, COVID has made everybody have to adapt quickly. If you've got that strong workforce, you can do that better. Uh, but just circling back to that moral case, I think is incredibly important. Um, good jobs can drive uh, great financial performance. They can drive um, competitive wins. Um, and it's incredibly important to offer those kind of jobs in these communities. So the story where we're working on that's kind of going to partner with this conversation um, is a story we're calling Building Your Bench. Um, and so there's kind of a key, um, one of the key challenges in recent years has been this conversation of succession planning in the industry. So when, you know, when executives are retiring, who's stepping up? Um, but the the process before that is getting managers in place. One thing that that retailers are, you know, are challenged with right now is um, finding qualified workers, finding long-term workers or getting those qualified people to stay long-term so that they can focus on the bench. And so these executives and owners and managers can kind of get out of the daily details. Um, So what, um, what kinds of challenges do you hear most often from retailers um, who, who are struggling to keep people long-term and, and what solutions do you, do you offer? Great question. So um, we have a partnership with another association, the National Association of Convenience Stores. Um, and for them, you know, this is, this is a real challenge, convenience stores, and really, frankly, many retail verticals have really high turnover. Um, so many, you know, retailers have a turnover of hundred percent or more. And as you've mentioned, it's really hard to build any kind of internal promotion, any kind of bench when you have, um, team members who, you know, aren't even staying for three months. Um, so we really encourage, um, first for companies to really assess what do your jobs look like now? So with every company we work with, we do a, a wage assessment. We use the MIT living wage calculator, just so you can really understand how many of your team members are making a living wage. What is your starting wage? How many hours are you able to offer people? Um, because the living wage really is a combination of an hourly wage and then also um, how many hours people can work. Um, we encourage them to look at benefits update, to look at internal promotion numbers, to look at how they build career paths, 
to really do an assessment of where they are now. Um, and we've got some free tools on our website, scorecard, um, among others, that can give you some of the metrics that we most look at. Um, and then it's really about digging in and saying, why are people leaving? Are your wages really low? Do you need to make an initial wage investment? Um, are your schedules really unstable? Do you need to, to increase the number of full-time team members? Do you need to get people there? You know, um, their schedules sort of more in advance. Do you need to have more shift um, changing options so that people have more control over their schedule and some flexibility? Really digging into exactly why people are leaving. Um, and then we really encourage companies to look at their career paths and how clear they are and how measurable they are. Um, everybody we talk to, they want to, you know, internally promote and it's exciting to be able to see people build careers. But many companies we work with, they don't, they can't point to a clear career path. Um, so we work with companies to really try to do that. Um, one company that has a great one is Quest Diagnostics. Um, and we have a case study about them um, through MIT Sloan. Uh, during their good jobs journey, they said, okay, we have really high turnover in a high expertise call center environment. Um, again, similar to your, um, your members, their team members needed to have medical expertise. They needed to have sort of deeper expertise for some of these challenging um, calls that they were on. And so first they did raise wages a dollar um, for their team members, but then they built a really clear career path um, over the course of the next two years. So where can you grow? Can you become a, you know, supervisor? Can you become a technical expert? Because career paths shouldn't always just go to management. Um, not everybody wants to be a manager. Not everybody should be a manager. We really encourage companies to look at what their technical paths might be. Is there a training path where you become a trainer? And where can you be having um, pay increases along the way? So as you're able to bring people on, as you're able to see um, if, if they are um, really going to thrive with you, and as you're able to train them up, they can see in three months and six months and nine months, I'm going to see a boost um, and my company's going to invest in me. So it's it's about looking at both your current state, looking at where your biggest gaps are and trying to build that out. Um, and at the same time, with all of that, we're also encouraging companies um, to look at their operations. Um, and that's really where you can get some of the savings that can pay for some of these good jobs investments. That note about not everybody wants to be managers is really interesting. I think that um, especially in, well, I guess I won't say especially in retail, but I think there is just kind of this expectation that you come into a role and you're going to learn how things work. And then eventually you'll manage other people or, um, you know, you might be that that person's boss in a year. Um, so talk a little bit about that that philosophy of like, not everybody wants to be a manager or is cut out to be a manager. So what other kind of roles or opportunities might retailers be able to create if they don't have people management opportunities? Sure. So um, we have studied Costco and Jim Sinegal, their, their co-founder is just an incredible um, business luminary around good jobs. And, you know, when he talks about managers, he wants them to be teaching 90% of the time. So that's really the role of a manager. I think a lot of times in retail, because companies are in a vicious cycle with high turnover, managers are, you know, A, they're the ones who could do the tasks best so they get elevated. And two, they end up just doing the tasks because they've got high turn. It's hard to hire. They're, they're subbing in for their team. So they never really get to that teaching point. Um, but, you know, the best managers, they're the ones who are deeply developing people um, and, and developing their, their departments and their, their company um, to be better. And that is a skill set that not everybody has and not everybody wants. Some people want to train. They love that. So that's one non-managerial 
um, career path. Quick Trip, which is a gas station convenience store in the Midwest, um, one of their sort of promotion um, routes is to trainer, um, which is fantastic. Another one for Quick Trip, um, they're one of my favorites. Uh, they have what they call a relief workforce. So this is a group of some of their very best team members who are promoted to this role. And every morning they wake up and um, they sort of check into, I think it's an app now, uh, to see what store they're going to. So if someone's on vacation, someone is sick, um, someone is you know absent for some other reason, this relief workforce can sub into different stores in the same region. And they're the very best because they've got to really know the systems. They've got to be great at interpersonal um, interactions because they're coming into a new store with a new, new team. Um, so this is another promotion opportunity where if you're just the best, you maybe can be subbing into a couple of different places and really be sort of that star team member. Um, for Quest Diagnostics, it was getting to higher technical um, call skills. So, you know, um, this can be an insurance going from an unlicensed call rep to a, a licensed call rep where you're able to take more complex calls. There's there's so many ways to think about this. And I think um, companies can be really creative in finding ways to tap into what their teams are best at and what their, their team members are best at and being able to reward that. Um, otherwise, again, like I, you know, we see many times in, in retail managers took the job because that was the only way for them to go, but they really, they're not, they, it's not for them. Um, for others, it's absolutely for them and managerial career paths are great. I'm going to just point to Quick Trip one more time. They have that training path, a, a relief worker path. They also have four assistant manager roles in each store before you get to the store manager. And that also allows for levels of progression, right? So um, they don't have to be big levels, but for someone to try being a manager, for somebody to work their way up and to have incremental opportunities to grow. That's really great. I love um, all those uh, all those opportunities uh, that that schedule option, um, like the the store, pick your store kind of thing, um, and framing that as as a promotion opportunity. Um, you know, there is kind of a kind of I think a, a bad rap maybe in the retail industry that schedules are challenging, um, and and so positioning you know pick your store, um, pick your shift kind of thing as as a, as a benefit, um, could be really appealing to, to, you know, certain people. Um, I think in our industry, um, and something we've kind of even tapped into internally here is this idea of, um, like kind of content specialists. And so, you know, in a hardware store, you would get the department specialist kind of role. Um, and so that's another opportunity, like you said, uh, with Quest is like, specializing and, and getting really, really tuned into a certain department or a certain area and, and being able to share that knowledge and expertise with customers and your coworkers. I love that. Absolutely. So Mercadona, which is a low cost Spanish supermarket, they have different areas, right? So meat and produce and, and, and on and on. And they have um, area specialists who know everything that's there really, really well. They can um, both be um, supporting customers to find what they want, but they also do ordering and inventory. And for many of these companies, they're also asking their frontline workers to identify opportunities to improve. So that's a that's a huge thing, I think, for, for your members as well. How are you empowering your teams to identify ways to improve their work, to improve customer service? Um, you know, we and this is sort of where the operations and job design come in. So um, 
we, uh, our work is based on the work of Zainab Tan, who wrote the Good Jobs Strategy. She's an MIT Sloan operations professor. Um, so I think when you hear Good Jobs Strategy, you're thinking it's all about HR. It's really this, this combination of investing in people and leveraging um, that investment through smart operations. So we help companies think through, you know, where can you simplify work? Um, and the best, some of the best ideas for simplifying work come from your front lines. What standards are working and where can you empower people more? Where can you cross-train your teams, um, et cetera, et cetera. And the last one is where can you operate with Slack, um, which is where that relief worker program comes in. It allows for some Slack in the system for QuickTrip. So um, this is to say uh, that having um, those area specialists who are also trying to problem solve for you every day, um, who are figuring out what's hot and what's not. So Zara, the um, another Spanish company, uh, the fast fashion company, their merchandisers are talking to their store managers, you know, weekly to say what's hot, what do the customers want, right? What trends are coming? So those those um, store department specialists don't need to be managers, but they can be um, really contributing to great customer service and and again, sort of operations, inventory, productivity. Um, over the last year, a lot of our content has focused on. Um, kind of like, uh, well, we've done stories on um, personality profiles. Um, so using personality profiles to, you know, figure out where people fit best um, and, and how to improve communication among among peers in or, you know, managers and, and sales associates and things like that. Um, and we've done um, a story about company culture. Um, and uh, looking into next year, we're going to be talking a little bit about branding. Um, so how, how does kind of the culture of a company um, impact its ability to attract workers? It's a great and it's a complicated question. Um, and there's so many definitions of culture and, and so many companies and you know consultants are working on culture. And I think one, one thing that's really important for us when we think about culture is um, culture is not outside of work and job design. How you design work, how you show up for people, how you respect people throughout you know, the process that they are with you, that's what sets a culture, right? So from the moment someone's applying to your job, to their first interview, to how well they're trained and who's training them. All of those things are setting cultural expectations. Um, so one, it's sort of the work. Um, and then the other thing we, we talk a lot about that I think intersects with culture is many of the companies that offer a good jobs um, strategy are, they offer this culture of high expectations. So QuickTrip is a gas station convenience store chain and they offer fantastic jobs. And I visited one of their um, stores in Tulsa, Oklahoma and talked to one of their team members. And he said, my head is always on a swivel. I'm always looking for the next thing that needs to be cleaned, fixed, where my team members need support. And at Quick Trip, like if your head is not always on a swivel, there's gonna be peer pressure for you to either improve or um, head right out, right? This, this so setting a culture both of work that respects people's time and their judgment, and also that sets high expectations both for your teammates and for you as, as the leader, um, as the owner is really huge. Um, so some of the ways that we think about work, um, you know, setting that culture, um, do you, again, do you respect people's ideas? Do you ask for, for ideas on improvement? Do you have empowerment in place um, so that your teams can make judgment calls? Um, or are you really trying to control everything that happens because you don't trust them, right? So it's it's not about, you know, remembering people's birthdays. It's do you fundamentally trust your team 
trust their judgment, empower them in appropriate ways, right? So there's a famous empowerment story from Nordstrom's where someone brought a set of tires back to a Nordstrom store to try to return them. And the Nordstrom store used to be a Sears or something like that anyway. And the Nordstrom's folks were like, sure, we'll take them back because customer service is paramount. I mean, you don't need to necessarily be taking back tires that you didn't sell, but how are you empowering your teams to to solve problems and use their judgment and showing them respect? Sure. Um, uh, in our industry, we represent um, you know single store business owners that have you know four people and three of them are family, um, and we also represent you know hundred store operations plus. Um, so is, is this concept scalable? Absolutely. So I would say that um, much of our work is with um, companies that are sort of 50 units plus um, because it is so scalable, right? If you are, if we think about um, improving operations, um, our first operational choice is called Focus and Simplify. And it's about having a really focused um, strategy knowing why your customers come to you and making some hard trade-offs. So choosing what not to be good at, right? So Southwest Airlines, they have chosen to be friendly value carriers. They do, they are not luxury, right? No first class. You may not even sit next to your, your family because they don't have assigned seats. So they've really chosen to be 100% good at some things and zero at others. And then once you have that very strong strategic focus, simplifying your operations. Um, and so this, this can look like a lot of things, but there's a lot of time savings um, that you can find there. And especially if you can multiply that over a bunch of units. Um, but whether you've got one store or five or 50, uh, the good job strategy absolutely, um, absolutely pertains. So again, I'll bring it back to NACS, the uh, Convenience Store Association. Um, we are working with one of their members that has more than 200 stores. And we've also talked to one of their members that has two. Um, and we've learned a lot from both of them and, and this applies to both. So uh, the, the, the member that has two stores, um, they are doing a couple of things uh, in terms of operations that they think are going to drive great jobs. So first of all, when they're thinking about why their customers come to them and really simplifying, they've chosen to take out money orders and lottery from their convenience store. Both are super, super labor intensive and have really low margins. So they're not making any money. They're using a lot of time on it. And it's not really why their customers are coming to them. They've simplified that out. That's going to make sure that their, their team members can really focus on why their customers come. And they've also empowered their team members. So they have on their point of sale system, uh, a delight the customer button. So if there's a long line and it's a convenience store, right? People want to come in and out quickly. And you see a, a one of your, your regulars at the back of the line with their regular everyday coffee, you can just press delight the customer and say, you know, Joe, I got you for today. We'll see you tomorrow. Right. And so finding different ways, no matter what size you are, um, to think about your operations, your job design, really simplifying, creating great standards, but also empowering people again, sort of getting into all of this. It'll work if you've got one store or if you've got a hundred. So related to that, um, one thing we've been tracking in the industry um, for many years, but but specifically over maybe the last 10, is this high level of consolidation. Um, so while um, the, the independent home improvement industry is growing from a sales volume perspective, um, the, the store units is getting smaller because existing store owners, managers, companies are buying existing 
businesses from people who are wanting to get out, who are ready to retire, ready to, you know, pass on to the next person. Um, so when we're talking about all of these things, um, you know, we're talking about, um, focus simplification. We're talking about building a culture and, and maintaining a brand. Um, when somebody is coming into a new existing business that either maybe doesn't have any of those things or is completely different, um, what are kind of some best practices that that retailers could think about when they are going through this consolidation or you know new ownership kind of process? That's a great question. And absolutely, Good Jobs does not have to be built into your DNA for, for companies to embrace it. And I think it's actually a really exciting opportunity if you are merging with another organization, if you've, you've, you've bought another organization, um, to be able to bring Good Jobs to all of their team members. So um, lots of ways to do this. But um, again, the first thing I would do is, is as you're in the process of assessing whether or not this is going to be a good partnership, um, we work. We, we happen to work um, also with investors, um, private equity investors who are doing a lot of these sort of roll-ups in, in various different industries. And so many don't ask about key human capital metrics. And so as part of your diligence, as you're learning about the company, ask about it and, and have that be part of the conversation, right? So, um, you know, what do a pay and have them give you a pay analysis. So you can see sort of where people's wages are. What is their turnover? Um, why are people leaving? Do they do exit interviews? What, you know, how many folks are, are internally promoted? Um, so even before you sort of get into that partnership, check in. And then um, I think it's incredibly exciting to bring people along on a good jobs journey, right? So being really open with communication, talking to the teams, really engaging the managers from the very beginning um, because, you know, they are the, the heartbeat of so many of these stores and keeping, making them really a deep part of any journey is important. So um, we encourage all the companies we work with to, um, if they're just starting a good jobs journey, to put together a team um, that can be the sort of eyes and the ears and the steering committee for this kind of work. Um, Mud Bay, which is a pet store uh, retailer in the Pacific Northwest, um, which again, I think will have many parallels with your members. Um, they are very much about consultative selling, about really giving pet owners everything they need um, to have very healthy dogs and cats. So these are sort of, um, these roles require a lot of knowledge. Um, anyway, when they were starting their good jobs journey, they put together a group called the 20, um, which included both leaders um, from sort of their, their corporate office, but also store managers and district managers and others throughout their organization. Um, so if you're you're doing some consolidation, put together one of these teams, um, bring people in from the new stores, from the existing stores, um, have, you know, create this kind of leadership and this kind of openness. Um, that's that's a great first step is to really deeply engage. Um, other companies have created, you know, champions at each store that are a good jobs champion and that again, sort of report into or um, are, are engaged with a wider um, effort. But looking at data, creating leadership opportunities in, in this kind of steering committee, um, identifying quick wins uh, that can really show these stores that you're serious. So if you're merging with somebody whose wages are lower than um, at your existing stores, um, figuring out what that boost might look like is a great way to start a good jobs conversation, coupled again with conversations about where their work is frustrating and what systems work and what don't. Um, integrating systems and finding even a third way that's better is another great opportunity. We see so much um, sort of time waste in reporting, in 
too many emails and all sorts of systems. So I think that's another great opportunity to dive in and say, what works for you now? What works for our stores over here? And how can we make um, systems work across that respect people's time? Um, one of the retailers I spoke to for this Building Your Bench story, um, they have 14 going on 15 locations in Texas. Um, and they they run a really lean operation um, because of where the stores are located. So they're in small towns in Texas. And so they don't, you know, some of their stores just don't need a lot of staff. Um, but one thing that they have, have done and invested in is um, really giving their store managers authority and decision-making power at the store level. Um, so they have a corporate office, but their store managers are decision-makers in those stores. Um, and they also encourage communication between store managers. Um, so they bring them together, um, you know, COVID notwithstanding, um, and they um, they really encourage conversation and, and kind of feedback um, between managers. Um, and I think that that is a really key part um, is to give, you know, especially in this conversation of building your bench, um, to give the people who have the same roles in pretty much the same environment, the opportunity to, you know, brainstorm with each other and, and you know, call each other up and say, hey, we did this today. What does it look like when you guys do it? I love that. That's a fantastic best practice. Absolutely. So again, the store manager is so fundamental to your success as a business and to your ability to create good jobs. And so making sure that, again, they feel deeply empowered as an owner, um, that they can make decisions, that th this is their store, right? And this is our sort of standardized, but empower um, operational choice. You as a business owner, you may want to, you know, you're certainly going to want to have some set of standards, um, but including in that a lot of empowerment for those store managers. And as you were saying, including opportunities for them to improve those standards. So if they see a better way to do something and they can share that with all their peers and you can actually across all of your units then improve that, that is super exciting. So Oberoi Hotels um, is a luxury resort um, business out of India. So they have multiple beautiful, fantastic um, hotels and they have something called the M Power Program. And uh, their team members from across these several hotels are constantly looking for ways to create this spectacular customer experience and they'll do it. And then they put it into a database and other managers, other teams can sort of see what they're doing and they will elevate the ones that they want everybody to do as sort of a, a standard. And so that's one way to take all of that wonderful empowerment and local knowledge and, and all of that and be able to elevate and create better standards um, Quest Diagnostics call centers did that as well. Um, they were empowering their different units, their different sort of uh, call center pods to make improvements. And then they were putting those on what they called a replication checklist and sharing that with all the pods so everyone could um, elevate what they thought would work in their environment. So I absolutely love that. That's really great. Um, if there was one thing that you could share with this particular audience about good jobs, what what's kind of like the key to kind of defining good jobs in a specific organization? Historically, or at least in the past 20, 30 years here in the US, it has felt like there's a, a deep tension between offering good jobs and being able to be a sustainable business um, and being able to offer great prices and, and being able to you know, be there for your customers. And 
we just really, we want to break that status quo and we want your, all of your great entrepreneurs to understand that, that, that tension really doesn't have to exist. Um, so we've, um, studied and, and my colleague Zainab has highlighted in her book, low margin grocers, right? So super, super low margin retail, um, and some of the lowest price retailers in the United States, Costco, Trader Joe's, Mercadona is a, is a, a low cost supermarket um, in Spain, as I mentioned. Um, and they are able to both offer fantastic jobs. So Costco's starts people at 16, their average wage is 25 and offer some of the lowest prices you're going to get anywhere and also have great returns. So there is a way to break that presumed trade-off between good jobs and good business, good jobs and low prices, um, and really being able to look at both how you're investing in people and then also how you're leveraging that investment through smart operations. That's really the unlock. Um, and you know, we are we are here to help. Um, the Good Job Strategy book is fantastic. We've got tons of resources on our website, which is um, goodjobsinstitute.org. Um, and as, as we are growing, we are wanting to offer more support for small and medium-sized businesses. So reach out. Um, and if we can be helpful, we would love to. Um, you are the beating heart of the American economy. You employ um, close to, if not over 50% of Americans, small business, small and medium-sized business owners um, really are that driver. Um, and we absolutely as a society, need you to offer fantastic jobs and you can offer fantastic jobs in a way that will absolutely drive a vibrant um, and thriving business. Thanks so much for your time today, Sarah. I really appreciate all your insights. Um, and uh, like you said, um, anybody who is interested can find you at goodjobsinstitute.org. Is that correct? It is. And feel free to directly email me at sarah.calic at goodjobsinstitute.org dot work. Um, really, we're, we're here to help um, and so appreciate everything that you do to create great jobs and vibrant communities. Awesome. So we will um, include all that info in the description for this episode. So um, anybody out there, uh, feel free to reach out. Um, and also, I do want to pitch um, to the Good Jobs Scorecard that I found on the website. So that's kind of a tool that that anybody can use to kind of evaluate their their business, like you were saying. You know, those those metrics of of um, wages and things like that, and benefits. So and schedules. Um, so um that's also available as kind of just an initial test before you dig into uh really establishing your operation as a place to find a very good job um so thanks again sarah really appreciate your time today my pleasure <laughs>